Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, so glad to be with you uh, today. Uh, again, if you are new with us, uh, uh, what we just sang about is the heartbeat of who we are and what we're about. Uh, it's about Jesus. It's about our Father and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're in the middle of a series called Abide. And uh, it is all about uh, us learning to walk into the presence of God. Uh, you heard the, Adam mention earlier that we have an Abide conference coming up in a couple of weeks. We definitely would love uh, for you to join us with that as it kickstarts us into the year. Uh, but today we're going to begin in the middle of a series that uh, really launches us into this theme uh, and a lot of different levels. And so let me, let me share this with you too. Uh, one other application of that, if you are new here or you're starting out the year and you're ready to kind of Say, so what can I do? How can I get my bearings? Where, where do I need to go? Uh, one place I would point to is a thing we call the journey groups, okay? Um, it, it's really simple. It's just a matter of getting together with a group of people. Uh, it is opening scripture in community. And if you've ever experienced that, you know how vital that is. If you've never experienced, you, uh, you need to experience the life-giving nature of being with a group of people that can uh, open up scripture with you. You can ask questions and dialogue about it. Uh, and uh, we are uh, embarking over the course of this year uh, not just on sermon-based discussions, but beginning in February, we're going to be walking through uh, the writings of the Apostle John. And so we're going to spend the spring uh, going through uh, the Gospel of John, which is where we'll be today. Uh, this summer, we're going to be in the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then in the fall, we're going to be in the Revelation. Same writer wrote all those, and we're going to cover them over the course of this year. Uh, and so this is going to catapult us into that. But the way that you start today is simply this. Groups kick off today. Uh, if you do not have one yet, go out to the Welcome Center immediately following this. Uh, our groups team will be out there. We'll have uh, some people that can help you find one. We have some on site, some are off site, different ages, different setups and stuff like that. Uh, and so there's lots of opportunity, but I would highly recommend you do that uh, because uh, we want to move from monologue to dialogue here. We believe that's the way we grow and we were challenged and encouraged in that. Uh, and so groups do that together as well as just share life together and uh, uh, laugh together and cry together, pray together, celebrate, all those things. Uh, and we want you to be a part uh, of all that, okay? Uh, so uh, real easy to do that. Just stop by the Welcome Center. But today we're going to be in, um, uh, in the second part of our series that takes up January called uh, Abide. And we're going to be in John chapter 14 and a little bit of John chapter 16. Uh, today's title is going uh, to be Power to the People. Power to the People. Some of you, uh, that phrase may uh, be familiar. Uh, probably a lot of us it is. Some of us might not know where it came from. Uh, it, it's kind of become a part of um, the vernacular in the 20th and the 21st century culture. Uh, it really, that phrase itself uh, came out of the 1960s. Uh, John Lennon wrote a song uh, with uh, Yoko Ono, and uh, it was one of the singles off of, uh, off of one of their albums. And uh, it was really all about fighting the establishment, okay? You know, I mean, it's 60s, right? Uh, and so it's kind of that whole thing about man, kind of stick it to the man, that whole thing, fighting the establishment. But it, it kind of got embedded in the, in the vernacular of our culture. But it, but, and I think the reason for that is because it's not really a new idea. Uh, if you trace out history, and I love history, um, you're going to find that 
uh, no matter which uh, country you're in or no matter uh, what uh, century you're in, there's always going to be this feeling like there's got to be some power. There's got to have to be this uprising of some, some sort. Even Thomas Jefferson, one of our nation's founder, he said that every generation uh, should have a revolution over the generation previous uh, to that. Uh, there's just this thing, I think, is in our humanness of saying, okay, we've got to rise up. We've got to do this. Uh, and it takes a lot of different manifestations, a lot of different forms. Some of them positive, some of them negative, uh, and you can be the judge of all of that. But I think the reason I bring that up is I think there's something innate in you and innate in me that says, man, I've got to have some kind of power source. And, and not just me as an individual, I think that there's some kind of solidarity, there's some kind of a thing about being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, and you could get swept up in that in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think in, in large part, that's why we enjoy even sports, or uh, maybe like a, you kind of get in, in like a little niche of, uh, of a certain kind of trend or something like that. Is There's this feeling of camaraderie and empowerment that it's not just about you having some kind of power, but it's, there's something big about being a part of something that's larger than yourself. You know, there's something magnetic about that. And and you've probably experienced that in your own way. Um, but I think when we look at scripture and we, when we look at what Jesus was doing is he was, he was really illuminating in many ways some things that are innate to all of us. Uh, he was actually, I think, trying to isolate and magnify some things. And he wants us to see those through the lens of who he is. And in in a large part, I think that what that what that leads us to is if you're here today, and man, this whole church thing is new to you. Uh, I mean, spiritual matters are confusing to you. Um, you. You come into a place and you're like, man, I I don't know what I think about that. Uh, I would say to you, you're in the right place because what we want to do, uh, our best to do, is we want to help isolate some things that we all experience and questions that you may have, and we want to see that through the lens of Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the answer that Jesus is the one that came to illuminate life for us so that we could actually experience who we were created to be, so that we could honor and glorify him and live our lives to the fullest, all in the same process. And when we get to John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, that little segment is embedded in a segment of scripture where this person, Jesus, uh, we believe he was fully God, fully man, when what he did is he came and he began to instruct his nearest and dearest friends, the people that had spent uh, the better part of three years with him, night and day, uh, eating, sleeping, breathing, uh, all the stuff that we do, sharing life with these people. And he had a message for them. And he, his message was pretty simple uh, on the surface, but it was really deep. He said that I'm about to go away. I'm about to leave. And this particular segment of scripture from John chapter 14 all the way up until like John chapter 18 or John chapter 17 actually is where we're focusing, it is typically called the farewell discourse. Uh, it's Jesus's farewell statement, if you will, to these people that were closest to him. And the irony that we're kind of isolating and targeting uh, over the course of these uh, weeks in January is this, is this idea that Jesus introduced and this command that he gave when he said that I'm going away, but he tells his nearest and dearest followers to abide with him. The word abide simply means to remain. And isn't it ironic that Jesus, upon his departure, is telling them to remain with him? I mean, conventional wisdom, logic would tell you, well, you're going away. How, in, how are we supposed to do what you're asking us to do? 
Well, today is one step closer to understanding how Jesus himself, how God himself empowers us to actually remain with Jesus, how he actually enables us to live life here. Because it's one thing if Jesus is in front of you, right? I mean, a lot of us have used that excuse. Well, if I was with Jesus, I mean, it would be different, but Jesus is not here. And some of us wrestle with faith because Jesus is not in the room. You can't see him, you can't feel him, can't touch him. What are we supposed to do? Well, today, hopefully we'll connect the dots a little bit between the physical Jesus that's present and how we stay present with Jesus because God is present with us. It starts really simply. I want to point you to John chapter 14, verse 15. We're going to drop in, parachute into the middle of this. If you missed last week, I invite you to go back and listen online. Uh, you go to our website and find the link to all that kind of stuff, and, and you'll get everything that we got leading up to this point. But watch what Jesus says. This is a quote from Jesus. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Okay, now this, okay, I, I just had to isolate this part for just a second uh, because I, I want to ask you a question. When, when I say the word commands and uh, we're in church, okay, um, we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You can just yell it out. What's the first thing when I say commands and you're in church, what do you think about? The Ten Commandments, yeah, that's, I, I was hoping you said that because if, if you didn't say that, I didn't, I wouldn't know what I was going to say because that's what I thought. Uh, but that's what I thought. Okay, I was just kind of doing a survey, see if I was the only one. That, that's what we think of, okay? And that's not wrong. I mean, those are definitely commands from God, okay? And that's a whole other series for a whole other time. But again, what we like to do here is we like to see these words uh, in the dialogue that's happening, the discourse, it's a farewell discourse, in the immediate context of what Jesus is talking about. And, and whereas we would normally say, okay, well, if you love me, keep my commands, we, we would readily say, listen, if you, if you follow Jesus, then you need to do the right things. We, we think of like moral things uh, oftentimes when we talk about God. As a matter of fact, um, when, I was, when I was growing up, uh, even all the way through high school and even college and maybe even into young adulthood, typically when people uh, that I was in dialogue with that were not church people or would not call themselves Christians and uh, whether they were like kind of on the fence or really just uh, anti-church, anti-God, if you want to call it that, um, they would even say things about Christian people and church people. They would say, well, uh, well they're, they're the good people. You know, they're good people. Or if you invite them to church, well, I'm not good enough. Well, interestingly, uh, a change has happened uh, that I have noticed, and, and maybe you've noticed too, and I think it's, it's, it's helpful to bring this up in light of where we're going today, is whereas what, that's what I grew up with, and that's what I understand. If you went to church, you were a good person. If you didn't go to church, you were not a good person. Well, honestly, within culture, that has shifted. Um, many times today, when, when the world looks at the church, their perception is the church people are not the good people. They're actually the immoral people. Uh, the things they stand for, the way they treat people, um, the, the common conjecture, the, the vibe, the cultural, um, uh, I guess the, the air that we breathe today has shifted. And I think in large part it's because of a, a distinction that I think this passage is going to illuminate for us. Because when he's talking about commands, he's not just talking about, in a lot of the context, you not doing bad stuff and you doing good stuff. He's not primarily in this passage talking about cussing, talking about drinking. He's not primarily talking about lying and cheating even. He's talking about something very specific. And so in order to understand what we have to always do in, in, in when we're reading scripture is we have to say, okay, well, what's around it? What, what's before it? What's after it? 
And so that we can understand what Jesus is saying. And, and let, hear me say, I'm not condoning any kind of behavior, okay? I just want us to actually hear what Jesus is specifically talking about in this passage. And in order to do that, we gotta back up. So let's, just, let's, let's work ourselves backwards for just a second. And then we're gonna springboard into the rest of the passage because this is key. If you back up to verse 14, I mean, verse 12 in chapter 14, this is what Jesus had just said. He said, very, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works, do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, this is what we talked about last week. The, the commands that Jesus is primarily talking about, he's just given a charge. If you remember what happened in John chapter 13, what did Jesus do? Anybody remember what John 13 was? If you, if you need to cheat, you can flip back in your Bible. And I always encourage you to bring a copy of Scripture. I know that that's an antiquated thing to do. But flip back. What, what happened in John chapter 13? Anybody? Huh? Yell it out. Okay, I can't hear very well up here. Huh? Huh? What did you say, Hayden? A new commandment. A new commandment? Yeah, new commandment. What else happened? Washing the feet, right? Uh, it was Passover meal. Jesus, remember what he did? He takes, takes a towel. He wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He's modeling to them. This is what's urban. He says, I want you to go and do likewise. This is what I want you to do. What is the command that Jesus is giving that has, Jesus has just given? He's given a command to serve. He's given a command to care for those that need care. And John, this permeates John's gospel and John's writing. Uh, matter of fact, when you skip forward to the letters, you're going to see this when we get to this this summer, if you hang with us, is that Jesus talks about this is how you, this is how you behave in, in that you love your brothers and sisters. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. Uh, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to enact the commands of God, to love God and to love others. This is, this is what he's pouring out. So when, when Jesus talks about the commands in chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He's just told the disciples what his command is. I want you to serve in the manner that I have served you. And he says, not only will you do these works, remember what we said last week? He says that you're gonna do greater things. And, and I wanna reintroduce uh, that definition to you because I think it's important. What were the greater things? What would greater things be? Greater than Jesus, what does that mean? It simply means to multiply the number of his works. I mean, I look out here today and I mean, there's an opportunity here for each one of you to do the works of Jesus. And when you go and do those works, what the second thing is that you're gonna expand the range of his works. That means that whereas Jesus was geographically fixed and located in a physical body, now through you and I, he's going to multiply the same thing and he's going to take it wherever you go. That means that you're, when you go to your job, that means when you go home into your neighborhood, whatever it is you do, when you go and do what it is that you do, then that means that you carry the work of Jesus with you. So if that's the case, if that's the command, if you love me, then you will do what I've been doing and you will expand and you will multiply. That is the command. He says, this is what it means to love me. That's what he's looking at. Then let's, let's see what he says just preceding that. Let's back up just a little bit more and let's go up to verse 10. Okay, we're working backwards. It's a different way to read scripture, but we have to do it. 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. This is what we just read. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So think about Jesus for a second. What did Jesus just say? Don't skip over this, okay? Don't sleep on this. This is what Jesus has said. He says, when you see me doing the works, the works that I'm commanding you to do, the greater things to do, he says, I'm not doing those in isolation. I'm not doing those in my own power. He's saying that I have proceeded from the Father I am one with the Father, which we're going to get to in this series. That's where we're going to land the plane, and we're going to talk about what that means. But what he actually displays to us, he gives us the key that unlocks, because if Jesus is not just our Savior, he's certainly that, but he's, he's not less than that, but he's so much more than that. He's also a model for us. He models for us what it means to be truly and fully human, the way God created us to be, and to relate to God and others in the way that we were created and designed to image God in, in our relationships, in our world, in our actions, in our thoughts. But Jesus did something really, uh, really, uh, I want to say, uh, uh, shrewd. He, went, he did something really shrewd. He says that when you see me doing works, the works I'm commanding you to do in just a second, I want you to know that there is a power source for me to do those works, and it is the very power of God. Now, a lot of people look at Jesus and they would say something like, well, man, he was a great teacher. Okay, he's a great teacher. Yes, he was. He was certainly a great teacher. But the people that heard him teach, they said, he teaches like no other teacher that I've ever heard. He teaches as one who has authority. That means that he contained the power of God. So not only did, was he the word of God, or saying the word of God, he was the word of God in the way that John described him. He was the eternal present word of God. He eternally communed with the Father. Why? Because remember what we talked about in our Deep Truth series is that he is fully God. He's part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no lesser than. He's not like a deficient version of God. He's fully God. And he says, when you see me doing work, what you're seeing is you're seeing the very hand of God doing the work. Now, let me ask you a question, and then we're going to springboard back into chapter 14, verse 16 is if Jesus was dependent upon the power of God, being God, then how are you yourself going to fulfill the commandment of God to love others and to serve others without the very same power? If Jesus said, the way that I do this is by the very power of God, then how in the world are you and I ever going to do anything that God ever designed for us to do apart from the power of God? And let me tell you, I have tried numerous times to do things in my own power, my own wisdom, my own strength, my, my own perspective. I've tried to do things on my own. And let me tell you, when I do that, uh, it, you know, sometimes it takes me longer than it does at other times to figure out that's not working out very well. I usually fall on my face. Uh, usually somebody gets hurt. Uh, so there's some pain involved with me or with someone else. Because here's the thing. What Jesus commands us to do, he also empowers us to do. And if Jesus was empowered to do the works of God, and if he commanded us to do the works of God, to serve and do greater things, to multiply and expand the kingdom of God, then I believe what he wants to do is he wants to he wants to connect us to the power source, which is himself. 
And that's exactly where John chapter 14, power to the people takes us. Watch what happens in verse 16. Now we're moving forward. We move backwards, move forward. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Check out that part highlighted up there. He will, uh, he will give you father. He's just talked about the father and the relationship. He's going to ask the father and he's going to give you another advocate to help you. Now that word advocate, uh, depending on what translation you have, you might have the word comforter there. Uh, some people have the word helper there. Um, there's actually a whole lot of different, uh, uh, just in studying that word just over the course of this week, uh, it's a really difficult word to understand because John uses a particular word and it's the word paraclete. Uh, if you look at the word paraclete, some of you might actually have heard that word before. Um, it's probably most accurately uh, really kind of translated into the word helper, that, that he's going to send you a helper. Why? Because he just told you to do this unbelievable thing. And, you know, hey, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. Uh, and you're like, if you're one of the disciples, or maybe you're here today, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, if I could do that, I would do that, God. Like, I mean, of course, uh, that's why I'm here, actually, is because I'm not doing so well <laughs> with, with that. But four times in this farewell discourse, Jesus uses this very word. Uh, it's, It's actually unique to John's writing when he talks about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit's gonna be an advocate, he's gonna be a paraclete, he's gonna be a helper. Now, what does that mean, okay? Well, uh, there's a couple of things. When you think of an advocate, there's a lot of different implications and a lot of applications, and we're gonna cover a few of those. But think about it, think about it this way. Uh, an advocate is someone that steps in to help you in an area where you are deficient, okay, where you need something. So there's a few things you have to have. An advocate has to have the power to act. Um, so like if you had somebody that was going to, you were gonna get power to, of eternity, uh, excuse me, eternity, ah, attorney to someone, it feels like an eternity when you're dealing with lawyers, right? Uh, If you're going to give power of attorney to someone, you're saying you have the power to act on my behalf. They have to have that power to do that, right? But not only that, an advocate has to be present to act, okay? In some way, some form of fashion, that that advocate, that helper um, has to be able to do it and has to be there to do it. It has to show up, has to show up. Now, here's the thing we know about God. God, over and over in Scripture, is is defined as our helper, okay? Um, God himself in the Old Testament, the the psalmist, I just read a psalm uh, to you that he said he's an ever-present help in a time of need, right? Um, There's a lot of others. Psalm 33, 20 says that we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help. That is the Hebrew word, ezer, and he is our shield. He's our ezer, he's our help, he's our helper. Why? Because when you're in a difficult situation, what do you need? Uh, When you're overpowered, what do you need? I need help. I need someone to do what I'm not able to do alone. I need a helper. And so God is our helper. And, uh, and the people of God have always returned back to saying, God, you're our help. 
Uh, another famous Psalm, Psalm 121, verse 2. Um, and one and two, it says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help, there's the same word, Ezer, come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the maker of heaven and earth, the one that, the, the, the one that spoke the stars in, into existence. I, I was looking at, uh, uh, I'm kind of a, a space nerd, uh, not like Star Trek or anything like that. I mean, I like that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about like galaxies and stars. And so on Instagram, I follow NASA and, uh, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope. And see, I'm a nerd, you know. Um, but I, I looked at it this morning, interestingly, because this was in my mind. And I looked at this uh, and there was a couple things. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but they, uh, uh, NASA just developed this, uh, this new mirror for their telescopes. And they just now, like over the week, over this past week, they, they were able to put it in space. You didn't even know that was happening while you were, while Walmart was closed, you know, uh, here in time. But they were up doing something in space, you know. Uh, and uh, it was an unbel- it's an unbelievable thing. They're all high-fiving and stuff like that. And we're like, what? is a big deal. Well, they're able to see this massive, massive universe. And so one of the, one of the images that I looked at today was this image, uh, and it looks like galaxies are colliding. I mean, they, they, I mean, you know, there's billions of galaxies. And they're, they're watching these galaxies and their movement to see how fast the universe expanded, expands. And they're able to track these things over time and, and to show how uh, they're not actually colliding, they're actually separating, right? Well, if you back that whole thing up and despite what you may think or what your opinion is on creation and all that sort of thing, here's what we know, okay? Here's what we know is it all started somewhere, okay? And scripture tells us that it started with God. That God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. And sometimes when you feel really small, when you feel weak, the privilege that we have as the people of God is we get to go to our help. And who is this help? He is the very creator of the galaxies. He's the very creator of the stars. Uh, and there's going to be a time when you need help. Uh, you don't have to have an appointment with it. It's got an appointment with you. Uh, you know, there's going to be an issue. There's going to be a problem. There's going to be a failure. There's going to be a, uh, something going on in your life. And you're going to come to the end of your own strength. And what has happened through the centuries is that God has made himself known through his majesty. When we look at the stars or we look at the universe of, inside of our bodies with, with the cells and all the things that are going on inside our bodies and the intricacies of that. And we're saying, this is where our help comes from. See, he's our help. And interestingly, I mean, and we're going to get to this in February, but even when you think about like the way that we look at our relationships, this, this word actually, Ezer, is the same word that is spoken of, of the woman when she was created for man. And this is a powerful image. This is the very image of God himself, that he is an Ezer. And when we think about help, we would never say that God is a weak God, that he is a strong God. But not just God in general, but God in particular. Jesus is our helper because he has the power to act, right? God has the power to act. Jesus is God. God, Jesus has the power to act. And what did Jesus do? Jesus showed up. John, the same guy that wrote this in 1 John in his letters, 
This is what he said about Jesus. He uses the same word. He said, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and guess what? That's a rhetorical question, okay? Uh, are you gonna sin? Yes. Have you sinned? Yes. Well, are you gonna do it probably this week in some form or fashion? Yes. We have an advocate with the Father. We have a helper. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is our atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is Jesus? Jesus is our helper. Now, the specific application of this type of help is, uh, has a lot of legal overtones, obviously, because an advocate stands before and he is our righteousness. When we are unrighteous, he is our righteousness. He stands and he makes an argument on your behalf, not say, oh, Dan, just messed up again. And so please, please be merciful on him. Because, you know, I mean, I've said this a lot if you've been with me very much. Like, you know, there comes a point in time in any relationship, if you keep failing, you're tired of saying, I'm sorry. And you don't even expect the person to forgive you. And a lot of us are that way with God. You know, like a a lot of us have promised God things. We're not going to do this. We do it. We're going to start this and we don't. And a lot of us, you know, it's first of the year. You've made promises to God. This is going to be the year. And it's already like the second week. It's January 9th and it wasn't happening. And you're like, I guess, how can I go to God? Well, the reason you can go to God is because you have a helper. It's not because you, because you go to him and you're just like, oh, please pour out your mercy one more time. Please forgive me one more time. No, you have an advocate that is righteous on your behalf because what you need is someone that has the power to act and someone that shows up. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And that is exactly what Jesus continues to do. He continues to show up for you in his power, in his righteousness for you. So who is our helper? God is our helper. Who's our helper? Jesus is our helper. And then finally, who's our helper? The Spirit is our helper. John 16, 17, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I go away, to which what they would say, uh, they would say, well, I don't see how that's good. I mean, if you're one of the disciples, I mean, you, you've, you've kind of pinned your hopes on Jesus. Like wherever you go, I mean, that's the definition of following, right? Isn't that the definition of following? Where you go, I'm going to go. And you're saying you're going to go away. How am I going to follow you when you're not here? And you're telling me that it's actually good for you to go away? And Jesus would say, yes, because unless I go away, that helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus knew something that was counterintuitive to them and is counterintuitive to us. That the spirit in us is better, uh, within us is better than Jesus being beside us. Jesus being geographically located in this room by what Jesus said is not greater than the spirit resting in you. And this is what I think if, if Moses showed up today, if Abraham showed up today, um, I know it's true because there's a, there's a passage in Moses, uh, uh, that Moses uh, has in Numbers where he actually said, I wish that everyone would prophesy. But he knew that not everybody was. And he asked for that. He's like, man, it would be great. But now through the Spirit, what is Acts chapter 2 says that you're young and you're old. You're men and you're women. Everybody will be able to prophesy. Everyone will have the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit 
is our helper. He empowers us. And here's the thing. Here's, what I, here, here's the way the application is for me, really simply. is I, I, I mentioned this this morning just with somebody. I was having a conversation. I was like, man, you know, I, 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 the older I get and the more I learn, uh, I would have thought, my 20-year-old self would have thought that the 48-year-old me would have been really good at praying. And you know what I mean by that is like, I'd have really good words and I'd, I'd be able to like really just say like, man, I, I just pray all the time, have all the words. But here's what I've found lately with me, 48 year old me, is that my, my prayers have actually gotten simpler <laughs> rather than more complex. Um, and I find myself praying things like, God, just help me, just help me. And I think, I think that that could possibly be the most powerful type of prayer, quite honestly. Because oftentimes, as Paul said in Romans chapter eight, he says, you don't know what to pray. I mean, how could you? In your limited wisdom, in your limited perspective, I mean, how could you know? But you can go to God and you can say, God, you're my helper. You're an ever-present help in a time of need. You are the help that comes from the mountains for me. You are the spirit. You are the son. You're the one that is an advocate for me. Your spirit is within me. And I know because you went away, you said, you promised that you would send the spirit to me. And so God help me. And that, it, that might be an easy place for you to start today. Is you just say, God help me. And he promises he will. Why? Because the promise of the presence of God is what the Spirit is all about. Let me finish it out this way. Uh, the Spirit being our helper, the promise, he's the promise of the personal power in the presence of God. Watch what it says again in verse 16. He says, uh, I will ask the Father and he will give another advocate to help you. There's the helper word and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now break this down. Take that word power and let's take that word presence. Why? Because an advocate has to have the power to act and has to be present to act. And let me just highlight this for you. The power of God. Look at those two phrases, one in verse 16, one in verse 17. The power of God, he, what's he there to do? He's there to help you and he will be with you, right? This is the power of God. He's there to help. And then secondly, it's the presence of God. He will be with you forever and he lives with you. Uh, remember what John said to open up the gospel in John chapter one, he talked about Jesus and he said that, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right. Um, and we beheld his glory, the, the one and only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Right. We were able to see God because he moved into the neighborhood. I think that's the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He, you know, God moved into the neighborhood. Right. And here's what, uh, here's what Jesus says as he departs in John's gospel, that as he leaves, he continues to live with us. How in the world is that possible? Because he promises that he will indwell you and I with his very presence, his very power. So what is the Holy Spirit? Or who is the Holy Spirit? Let's say it that way. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, practically speaking, is God's presence with us to fill us with his power in order to do work through us, in order to work through us, excuse me, to accomplish his works. Because that was the command, right? You're gonna do greater things, multiply, expand. And so the Holy Spirit is God's present with us to fill us with his power 
in order to work through us to accomplish his works. The, the Holy Spirit does a lot of different things in our lives, okay? And this is not a, a whole series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, but a lot of people are mistaken, I think, in that the Holy Spirit is there to make you feel things. Now, he does that, and I'm going to talk just real briefly about that. But that's not his primary role. I mean, the primary role of the Holy Spirit is not just to make you feel things. It, he's there to empower you. The Holy Spirit's there to empower you to do the work that he's commanded you to do, which is to serve other people, to lay down your life the way that Christ laid down his life for you. So if that's the case, if that's what it's all about, then if you look at verse 25, skip down to John chapter 14, verse 25, all right? We gotta do some skipping around. Uh, and then I wanna, give, I wanna point out this one thing and then we're gonna wrap the whole thing up. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, there it is again, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, this is what he's gonna do. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What does he say the Holy Spirit will do? He will teach you all things and he will remind you. So yeah, you can go to the next slide, that's fine. Go to the next thing. The Holy Spirit will do two things, okay? Let's just put it up here. I was trying to be really clear at the end of this. He's going to teach you all things the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of everything I have said to you, okay? The church, the people of God, are people that are having their minds renewed to the things of God, okay? Um, the way you learn anything, you, you learn it by immersion in it. I mean, you, you don't learn things by osmosis, uh, um, you know, you, you are learning all the time. You're, you've been given the unbelievable capacity to learn. Um, the problem is that we learn so many things that reinforce things that are negative things that are, are not things of God. Um, we have these things that we've actually oftentimes imported into scripture uh, and we're assuming that there's connect. There's all kinds of problems with this. And why, uh, why is that is because we have fallen minds Okay, and our minds have to be renewed. And so how does that happen? Well, God has given us his very words, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit that actually takes it and gives us the ability to understand. It's interesting if you follow the course of the church, even in like the book of Acts, okay? Oftentimes it seems like what happened was they were struggling to understand the move of the Spirit. Um, think about what happened when the the gospel went to the Gentiles. And all the people, all the Jewish Christians that had come out of, uh, come out of Jerusalem, they had to have a meeting because like, they saw the Spirit doing something over there. And they're like, I don't understand that. That doesn't fit in my paradigm and my understanding. And so what did they do? They had to be taught. And so they had a meeting. Uh, the apostles all got together. Church leaders got together. They said, okay, what, what do we do with this? And it's like the Holy Spirit oftentimes was outpacing understanding that the church's job was trying to catch up because here's what the Spirit was doing. The Spirit's always moving, all right? Spirit's moving, but the Spirit is always trying to bring us along with where he's going to give us the understanding of the things of God. He's trying to take our fallen minds, help us to be renewed in our thinking so that we can merge our lives and follow the will of God to be uh, the inbreaking kingdom of God through a group of people, right? So... The Holy Spirit, he says, I promise you, I'm gonna teach you all things. Now, he's not gonna do it by osmosis. 
that's why over the course of this year, I mean, we've got books out there that are sitting up here for our uh, journey group leaders. One uh, has a, it's called a journey into God's word. It's how to begin to r- rightly read scripture. One of them is spirituality according to John. It's going to kind of be a primary text. Why? Uh, why are we doing a conference? Why are we doing any of that? Why are we doing that? It's because we've got to be equipped in our thinking so that we can actually be taught by the Spirit so that we can do the very works of God. You don't just show up and do the works of God. It, it, it's not like you, you come into a movie, you know, and watch Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> like this. It, it's not all done for you. Like you're going to have to apply yourself and we as a church have to equip ourselves and we have to put ourselves in a position so that God through his spirit can speak to us through his word and we can rightly understand it so that we can come underneath in submission to God and honor God in this world so that we can do greater works of God. And that's what God is calling this church to do. That's what he's calling you to do. If you would call this place a home, he's not calling you or me to step back and see what happens. He's saying, no, I gotta come in and I gotta apply myself. And that's why this year we gotta lean into abiding with Jesus. The spirit says, I'll teach you all things and then I will remind you of everything I've said. How many of y'all need reminders? How many of y'all married to somebody that needs some reminders? Okay, how many of you got some kids that need some reminders? Okay. How many of y'all work with some people that need some reminders? Okay. This is the most amens. I'm getting, I can hear it. Right. Right. Well, here, listen, God said, I know you're going to need some reminders. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm not just going to teach you information about God through my very presence in the air. I'm going to whisper in your ear and I'm going to remind you about the things of God. Have you ever been in a situation where you were being tempted to do something and whether you did it or not, there was at least a slight pause where you said, or you heard something say, you don't need to do that. Probably so. And you probably remember like somebody saying a sermon or a Bible study or a word from your granny, you know, that said, you know, this is what God wants for you. And whether you traded that image in or that identity in for a lesser version of yourself, God says, I will always be there to remind you of everything I have said to you. Pastor Tyler Stanton, I I love this quote. He says, the Holy Spirit pushes the teaching of Jesus from the head where they can be understood down into the heart where they can heal and become a new foundation for us to live from. It's one thing to know some facts. It's a whole other thing to actually have it pushed down into your heart. So it actually begins to flow through your veins It begins to invigorate your life. It energizes and empowers you. That's exactly what the helper is there for. That's the potential going into this year. If you could narrow the focus, if we could narrow the focus, this is what God is calling us to do. And who is he calling it to be? Well, I wanna read a scripture, one last scripture to you. I'm gonna read it over you. And as the band comes out, because I think you need to know this, that when Jesus talks about the spirit, he's not being selective, okay? He's not trying to curate a list of perfect individuals by which uh, he selects and says, mm, I think I'll put my spirit in him. I, I think I'll put it in her. They, they, they look like they got it together. What is the qualification for all of this power and all this presence of God to actually find its way into your life and into my life? 
Well, watch what Jesus said. These very words of God. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 7. He says, let anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What does he say? He says, um, he says, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, then just drink. I think that the simplicity of that image is, there it is. What's he calling you to do? He's calling you to take it in, right? Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean, so thirsty you didn't really care what you drank, <laughs> you know? I think some of us in our life, we are so thirsty, we have been reaching for so many things. And guess what? When we're thirsty, we will drink anything. When you're really thirsty, you're not that selective. But here's the thing is, what if, what if there was a thing that you were designed to be filled with that would not just satisfy you for a moment, but would actually become a river of living water that actually doesn't just supply your need and quench your own personal thirst because a lot of us, that's all we're after. We just need our thirst quenched. But the spirit was the empowerment, the presence of God to do the works of God. That's what he commanded us to do. And so we take it in so that it becomes a river of living water so that everyone can drink. And just like I know that you know what it's like to feel thirsty because I feel that way too. And I want you to know if you're thirsty today, you can come and the spirit can come and quench your thirst. But I also know that you live with some thirsty people. And I also know you work with some thirsty people. I know that you shop with thirsty people. There's thirsty people everywhere because everyone was made for the spirit to indwell them too. And guess what? That was a deferred promise, but now that promise has been fulfilled because why Jesus has been glorified. Acts chapter one, that's what it said, that they waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And once that, once that promise of the Holy Spirit came, once the spirit dropped and fell on all those people at Pentecost, it started a river that is still flowing today. And it found its way in this room this morning. And so today, I just want to call you just to, maybe, maybe it's as simple as you telling, telling God two things today, saying, God, I'm thirsty. And maybe you just say, God, help me. And he will meet you right there. And you got your own application for what that is. I know what that, that you know what that is. But today, God wants to meet you in that thirst. Father, we thank you so much that you are the living water, that the spirit that breathed over the face of the deep, the chaos, and brought order out of the chaos. The help that came to us, that's our shield and defender. Our advocate that goes before the Father that showed up at just the right time when we were yet still powerless and still stands before the Father in the power of his own righteousness today. And then the Spirit then now comes to us in our time of need to flow through us to call us forward into becoming what you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we embrace the full, full power of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
We make ourselves ready to God today simply because we know that we're empty without you and we're thirsty before you and we ask for you, God, to come and fill us. And so we just simply say to you, God, help us, Lord Jesus. I wanna give you just a second to utter your own prayer to God and then the, uh, our team's gonna lead us as we sing around that theme.